This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hey, everybody! This is Dana Pickley. This is Adam Sass. And this is Princess Weeks, and this is Horror is So Queer! And we're back again. Back again. Back, 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 back again. Um, yeah. Um, this is gonna be... This is probably... This episode is... We're gonna be talking about the stuff that probably scares me the most. What is that? And that is nightmares, unreality, and the trauma of the closet. So we're gonna be talking about not trusting your own reality. That is, I mean... Mama, that's something we are dealing with in life right now. So that is, <laughs> this is as real as. Well, I want to know: Do you guys have bad nightmares? Some people do. Yes, people constantly. Uh, constantly. Really? Yeah. Yes. Ever since I've been on Lexapro, I have the most vivid nightmares, and the worst part of it, it's like they're realistic nightmares. They're about mundane <sighs> stuff. So I'll wake up and just be like, oh, okay, okay, my parents aren't getting a divorce. <laughs> like, it's, it'll, no, be, it'll be stuff um, like that. My... That's wild. I'm on Lieutenant Lexi, too, and I don't have nightmares on, on her. Oh, well, she uh, got me. Well, <laughs> I'm not on Lexi, but I'm telling you, uh, this old brain is, is producing enough nightmares for whatever. Uh, like, my, my, like, I have similar, like, realistic nightmares. Like, I have just nightmares were just, like... Um, my dogs die. Like, it's just like, mm. and it's horrible. And it's horrible and I live it and then I wake up and like, they're sleeping there in bed with me and I'm just like, wake up. Like, just like, I'm like, oh, you're still here. Oh my God. Um, do, you, if, do either of you ever take melatonin? I, I no. take melatonin. If you want to have some crazy ass dreams, <laughs> take some melatonin. I had to back away from it. Um, uh, cause yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I want to, I'm going to get to that point where I'm just going to need, I'm going to need propofol. Like, I'm going to get to that point, like, if I had the money. But, like, it's just one of those things where I can't, I, I have bad dreams pretty much every night, and I can't remember the last time I had either a good dream or no dream. Oh, Adam. I know. Feel bad for me. <laughs> My sweetie. <laughs> My poor little brain. Um, yeah, so the, obviously this is why I, I uh, led the charge on this uh, topic for this week. Because, um, yeah, I feel like, I feel like queers are no stranger to a, a waking nightmare. Um, this theme that, uh, uh, something bad is going to happen. You can't shake it. Um, there's, uh, there's a terrible feeling. No one believes you. Maybe you're losing your mind. Uh, how can you even trust your own version of events? Uh, this is, um something everybody can relate to, but it's specifically people who have gone through, I think, the closet. I think it is very, very, um, uh, when you're closeted, I think it is easy to start to doubt, um, a lot of what you're seeing because, uh, to accept what you're seeing means, uh, that you're a big queer and you don't want that. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) like, I think for me, myself, you know, and I'm going to start, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, here's my thing. I'm going to start, stop talking generally and be like, me as a queer person, this is my experience, which is closet super messed me up in the head. Anybody else with me? Like, it just, it was one of those things, right. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to say that. I'm going to stop speaking for other people and I'm just going to say, me, myself, um, I had some, some bad, 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 bad dreams and, uh, yeah, I had a, you know, by the, by the time I was ready to come out, um, it really was a matter of survival because I was like, well, I just can't keep living like this because I, I started really being like, uh, I felt like something just terribly awful was going to happen. Um, and, and movies, uh, especially horror movies really embrace that, embrace that, that dread. I love some dread for sure. Dread. If it's somebody else's dread, like I feel that I turned so much during this pandemic to horror films just to like feel something bigger than myself for like a a few hours. Right. Right. Well, I'm someone who, if I'm going through a thing, I need to see a movie or show of someone going through that thing. Like I'm not going to do the, I'm not like, oh, I need to see like really happy stuff right now. I'm like, if I see happy stuff, I'm like, that's really great for you. 
me, I'm sitting here going through something. So I really, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch this like thriller where, you know, I'm going to watch Texas Chainsaw where she's running for her life and she's screaming her head off. Like that's, I'm like, yes, that's how I feel. (laughs) That is, it's the catharsis of like, Mm. uh, yes. I remember, like, I remember I was watching just a movie and I'm like, look at people outside. I was watching, um, uh, it follows. And I'm just like, man, I was like, man, I I was like, see, <laughs> people outside just They're walking. all there. They're all there just walking. <laughs> How dare they? Look at them hanging out with other people other than the people they cohabitate with. Going to school, Damn. having jobs, outside jobs. How dare they? Well, like, like being, uh, being pursued by a stranger, I'd love to meet a new person. Right? Oh, we, like, are definitely go, we are definitely going into that in uh, one of episode seven or eight. Uh, we're definitely going to tackle It Falls. Ooh. And the Babadook. Don't even. Ooh, yes, Babadook. Babadook. Okay. One icon after another. Um, so in the, so the movies we are tackling today, they are a multitude, and some of them you uh, some of them you maybe wouldn't even classify them as a horror film, but these are all movies that scared me and a lot of that is because of the doom um and not really trusting that version of events um the first one um i was able to see for the first time this year because the lovely criterion channel did um uh the month for the month of october they were doing uh their 70s did anybody see this like they're doing the they're doing all the horror of the mm-hmm. 70s it was beautiful i watched so much crap it was great. Um, and something about 70s horror really just, just hits. Just hits it the, was hits a good nerve. time for horror, man. It was some... I, I what, what was it about it? Was it the filmmaking styles of like suddenly you had a whole bunch of people wilding out? Um, yeah, I think that definitely. They had right. some really amazing auteurs. But I also think like what was happening in the world, like and especially in, in like if you look at an American horror films, mm-hmm. we're, we're showcasing... Um, what's happening with the vietnam war what's happening with uh you know feminism and queer rights and like all these things are changing and the world before doesn't uh, doesn't look like the world ahead yeah plus i mean plus you had like i mean because you had vietnam and water you had all of these like you can't trust the establishment we need to listen mm-hmm. to the hippies and then it was like oh my god manson hippies are killing people so ah, like, right oh, exactly to, what's happening yeah it's like we Trust trusted the no hippies one. and they betrayed us with their <laughs> with their drugs. <laughs> their drugs and their um, murderous their, rampages. Hey, Ashbury. Yeah, their whole <laughs> their whole vibe, their whole crazy vibe. Who do we trust now? Um, oh, they really harshed my mellow back then. They really did. They did harsh the mellow. Um, yeah, that's, I think that was sort of the thing where it was like it was like it that did seem to be the tone in at least the first half of the seventies, which was like. Can you trust anybody? No, you can't. And you no. can't do it in 2021 either. I was going to say, what are we do? I was like, I can't I trust, can't, I, I really I can't trust that, a damn person. I hope the 2020s is filled with that same type of just one horror after another <laughs> is just hidden. Um, because it's all just expressing how we fucking feel right now. Mm. I, I have to say, Adam, I love that I know one of the reasons you picked Don't Look Now from 1973 is because Ooh. of the rumored unsimulated sex scene between Donald mm. Sutherland and Julie Crispy. <laughs> Did I say Crispy? Julie Crispy. <laughs> Donald Sutherland and Julie Crispy had sex and they just whoops left a camera running. Like it. Allegedly. They, allegedly. Allegedly. They all deny it. But um, it's again, it's one of those, it was, one, you know, it, again, the seventies also was like, Buckle up. We're going to we're going to spend 11 12 minutes on a sex scene right now. Right. Right. Question. We want intimacy. Yes. <laughs> Question for you. Is Donald Sutherland the Adam Driver of the 70s? <gasps> Shut up. Wow. <laughs> no, I was just talking about because this whole Criterion 70s thing cuz he Donald Sutherland was all over that and it was like this odd man was with this red bush, like it's it, very <laughs> odd, man. Um, you've nailed it. That's it. That's it. We need, listen. We need to have a horror renaissance. Um, uh, expressing the multitude of fears of our time, and each of them starring Adam Driver. <laughs> That's perfect. I 
I really have to like sit with this for a second. <laughs> how Did tall? Your mind? How tall is Donald Sutherland? Oh, good question. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say six. Tall as four. hell. I'm gonna say six four. Then then I, then the answer is yeah. yes because I think about I think about like this all the time. <laughs> how I want to Google it now for the gaze. Do it yeah yeah. Watch him be like five eleven or something. <laughs> He's seven feet tall. He's six foot four. Oh, oh my god! god. Oh my god! I, I, listen, I'm I'm like All right, the, the, it's my carnival. It's my carnival gig. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess <laughs> But Keith, there's only five nine. Bless. Listen. Oh, and Adam Driver is six two. So yeah. So he <gasps> towers over. Sutherland yeah. is taller. I, a man. A man. A man. Um, so, okay. Um, so, so don't look now. Let's backtrack a little bit. Don't look now, 1973. This is, um, and we just lost the director, Nicholas Rigg. Um, and this was, um, you want to talk about a doom-soaked movie. Don't look now is, uh, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie are like, architects or designers or something they're 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 re- they got a really bougie european gig and they're in there and they're living in england at the start of the movie and um their little daughter who's got a uh who is shown repeatedly wearing a, a, a bright red rain slicker is um i don't know playing around goofing around and she drowns while they're well they're while they're off being famous architects so she drowns, and uh, the whole movie is the aftermath of that trauma of losing of losing that daughter. So after this this accident, they leave England and go to Venice, where they're repairing an old church. Um, and for the longest time, this movie doesn't seem like a horror movie. It just seems like this this sort of mm. in the bedroom drama a, where they're trying not family to family trauma other. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and then until. Until the psychics show up, um, and then we've it got always these, shakes things up. And the psychics, man, they always are good for a twist. Um, so these two psychic ladies, and they're the perfect old ladies. They're these like English old ladies who show up in Venice, and um, man, freaking nobody better for horror movies than nineteen seventies old English ladies. Um, <laughs> Because there's not, and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Now, this is, no, now, like, I, there's something about, like, I mean, I guarantee you, I say old ladies, but, like, I guarantee you they were probably, like, 61 or 59. Um, <laughs> they're not, they're not the, they're not the 61-year-olds of today. Uh, I think there definitely was sort of an air, like, this sort of my, you know, my grandma's time where it was, like, you know, it was, like, you're just, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a real, like, kind of, like, 50s, and then we're going to stay in that zone. So we're wearing all this like stuff that like really um, is really dowdy and you know old and fifties and that sort of thing. So they they definitely have a sort of like harbinger of doom mood here. Um, these two psychic women they show up and they basically tell uh, Julie Christie that they've seen they've seen her daughter. They they've seen her and she's laughing and you know they're 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 trying to reassure her basically. They're saying like, "Hey, she's here. She wants to say something to you. Uh, she wants to let you know she's okay." And it's one of those things, it's one of the things I love about it because technically for the first half an hour if everybody just behaved normally, um the horror didn't need to happen. The whole thing was like it's a family drama where they lose the daughter and then um like every psychic show now, they just say she wants to know she's okay. That should have been the end of the movie, but it like super unhinges this couple because they're either right. not believing it, like he doesn't believe it, and she so badly wants to believe it, and she wants him to 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 accept it um, as well. Um, and that, that could have really gone one way or the other, and it goes yeah. one way. And it really goes one way. So the other thing that's going on, I mean, this, this sounds like a very, I mean, again, this is one of those movies that you just have to see, because me describing it is just like, what? Um, so it's like, so they lost this daughter. Then they're also seeing, you know, then Sutherland begins to believe when he starts seeing um, sort of a small figure in a red rain slicker running all over the city. Um and so it turns into this uh, 
Ooh, maybe maybe their daughter is alive. Maybe her spirit is here. So he starts. He becomes even more wrapped up in it than uh, than his wife did, and uh, and this all builds towards something where uh, and then intercut throughout, there seems to be this sort of past, present, present, and future thing happening where there's shots interspersed where it seems like hmm that happened out of joint. Um, so there seems to be this whole like what you're perceiving is not what it really is, and then. Um, uh, Dana, you've seen this. Do you want to tell us what, uh, who this person in the rain slicker ends up being? It, in the most um, horrifying moment in the, it, in the movie? It ends up being, uh, an old, uh, an old woman, uh, who just, like... Is a serial killer. Is a serial killer, and, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's pretty shocking. He chases this woman thinking it's his little daughter who, who died um, into this alley. And he's like, my daughter. And then she turns around and it's this shock moment. And then like, she just like flings a butcher knife into it. It's a meat cleaver. Just a meat cleaver. Yeah, it's a full <laughs> butcher item. Like just flack right into the neck and just, and, and died. And so, and then you, you start to see that like, um, yes, the daughter was speaking through, these psychics to warn, warn him. them yeah. to like get out of Venice. Um, and then obviously Donald Sutherland is a too much of a man and is like, uh, nonsense. He's like, My I'm wife six is hysterical. Four. I don't need this. My right. wife is hysterical. I'm not listening to these biddies. I'm not even listening to my own ghost daughter. I'm just going to keep pursuing stubbornly. And then, um, and then he is fittingly killed by another woman. So, yeah. It's all about, like, what's real, what's not, what's in my imagination, am I crazy, am I sane, who's talking? You know, <laughs> it's, it's all it over is the that. place. It is, like, a, it, it's one of those things where, um, and in our previous episode where we talked about American Werewolf in London, this is a sort of 70s, 80s horror thing, which is, um, I call it the You're Fucked series. It's just, it was, you were fucked from the beginning, <laughs> Nothing good happens throughout the movie. You're fucked throughout the movie, and at the end, you're you're final. You're the it final. It is your fucked. destiny you're, to be fucked. fucked. <laughs> you're, just like, you're absolutely fucked every fucking step of the way. Like it's it so is one of the, Yeah, it really is one of those things where it's like it's fate. Like you are doomed. Like you're just waiting for this to unfold. Like you're fucked. Ah, oh, that's so refreshing. Which is very queer feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's just like, oh my god, okay, I had a lot of dread about this, and I, you know, when you're when you're young, when you're younger, like and coming out, like, and it just you're just like you hate every moment of it. I hated every moment of it. I'm not gonna put that on other people. Um, it's and you just like are like just so you you and then you know, keep waiting for these awful things to happen. And it's kind of how it feels. So I first heard of this movie when I was watching, I think it was like Bravo's Scariest Movie Countdowns. So I I saw it twist first. So I saw the twist. I knew of the twist. And then years later, I was watching the movie and I was like, this just, it vaguely is reminding me of a thing. And then it happened. I was like, oh my God, it's from that thing I watched like when I was 10. And I just like remember screaming the whole time because I had totally forgot it until the moment where he grabs her, and I'm just like, oh, oh no, he's made a terrible mistake. Isn't well, this also the movie that has the, like, crazy decapitation with, like, the piece of glass? No, that's the omen. Oh, sorry, sorry, okay. That's another You're Fucked movie. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, like, that's, no, that's, um, oh god, what's his name? He's, he's that great character actor who's in everything. Um, I'll think of it, yeah. David Warner, David Warner, he's in everything. Um, so yeah, he is like this photographer, you know, and it's the end of, you know, it's one of those things where like anybody who attempts to like get killed the Antichrist uh, makes a very unfortunate accident. And yeah, yeah it's like not a, a, simple... a giant piece of glass. Like <laughs> I saw that when I was like 12 and I remember like it was like, just on TV. There's the thing, I really wonder how like 12, 13 year olds now like accidentally stumble upon fucked up movies. Like, how are they doing that now? You have to very intentionally put on a movie right now. That's true. Maybe it's like, I look at a lot of lists because I'm always looking for something new that I've missed. 
Um, just for the record, there's not a single lesbian film out there that I have not seen. And I have been trying to... <laughs> I've been trying to find new material. There's just, it's just not. Uh, but anyway, uh, speaking of um, nothing that connects with this, um, we were just <laughs> talking about. Just talking, pivot, just pivot. All right. We were just talking about earlier before we started recording, like my intense crush on Heather Langenkamp. <laughs> Dame Langenkamp. Dame Langenkamp uh, of. <laughs> Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street fame, but we're actually not going to talk about the originals, Adam. Yes. We're talking about the new nightmare, the new very nightmare. meta new nightmare. New nightmare. Is it a dream? Is it a movie? Whatever it is, Dana's into Ms. Langenkamp's oh, yeah. uh, presence in this. Yeah, whatever is happening. Um, yeah, new nightmare is really is like really the prologue to Scream because this is what so is. It yeah. really set up that kind of late nineties meta. Horror genre. Horror movie about horror movies. And this is basically uh, Heather Langenkamp plays herself um, being haunted by Freddy. And everyone's like, the man from your films, you're hysterical, Heather Langenkamp. Um, (laughs) Darling, have you tried not being haunted by Freddy? (laughs) You're like, have you tried not being Heather Langenkamp? Have you tried... It's really, yeah, this is definitely belongs in that um, series of let's make this very self-assured woman doubt herself. Um, and uh, so it's basically, the gag is, is that, uh, and we find out from like Wes Craven himself, who appears as himself in his own movie, talking about his own movie. It's very, it's, it's, but it's very, it's very being John Malkovich. Um and it's uh, Wes Craven shows Langa up. Langenkamp, Langenkamp? Langenkamp, Langenkamp. Oh. Um, yeah. I, don't think, I, don't, Dana, I don't think you could handle it. I think you short circuit. So Wes Craven shows up and is basically like, hey, when we made Nightmare on Elm Street, we actually were like channeling this old story that was like a fable. So like basically Freddy's real and we made a movie about him and like we basically stole his life rights and um, <laughs> like... <laughs> it wasn't fiction. We, we were making a movie about something that existed. And um, because we stopped making movies, um, he, he, you know, while we were making the movies, his soul was trapped in the celluloid. And then now that we've stopped making Freddy movies, um, he's out now. And he's out to get everybody who is involved um, in the films. And that is why Heather Langenkamp has been targeted her and her young son. I... I... <sighs> So it's great. It's just a great, it's just, it's a flat, great movie. It's just because I mean, Heather Langenkamp was great as like a young actress, but like when she's like in her thirties and you're going to give this to me, like, Oh, I mean, I mean, you want to, you want to talk like queer rights is that little, like, you know, she gets that, um, that, that white, Rogue stripe. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like every queer girl, every queer woman was like, oh, gray hey, wait, streak. Wait. Holy the gray shit. streak. Oh my God. Well, you're talking about what was, um, who else we got? We got Joe Beth Williams in Poltergeist. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. That's got to be inspiration. Like, but yeah. Joe Beth Williams in Poltergeist, they were, they really were like, okay, put her in an oversized t shirt, gray streak. Mm-mm. And then she Mm-mm. like cl- crawls up the wall. We got every, we got, we got, we got the, we got the queer ladies. Can't talk about it. Right. <laughs> well, there was so, there's so much queerness entrenched in the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street series. And, yes. you know, we talked, we've talked about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, sorry, 3. Mm-hmm. 3, 3. The, the, no, the, two, the, two, no, 2. No, is... 2. 2, the very gay one with where our, fi- mm-hmm. where our final boy. Um, but yeah, I think we can never underestimate the power of like the girl next door with like something more. Yeah. There's just something about her. Um, I know it's not on the list, but as you were talking about your inspiration for crafting this thing, what came into my mind was the animated film Perfect Blue. Which I don't know if you guys are familiar, but it's by by Satoshi Kon. And it's about this um, singer named Mima, uh, who is part of like a J-pop group called Cham. And she retires because she wants to become a full-time actress. And she like gets this new manager and people get really upset that she changes this persona. And this stalker starts coming around and killing people who have sort of like 
hurt her in her career. And she still has to lose her grip on reality because there's this website, like a fan site, that is very similar to her room. And there starts being like a diary made by this person. And it starts off as being a coincidence, but then it becomes exactly what her day is like. And she's slowly through the trauma of filming this new movie where she has to go and do this fake rape scene. Um, she just is so torn between like what she promised people that she would do, feeling like she has all of these different things on her shoulders, and she starts having this complete trauma breakdown. And she stopped like this. Like I don't know if you guys watch BoJack Horseman, but mm-hmm. that remember when he goes to that thing where like the the set is like his house. Yes, and he's that is from Perfect Blue. Oh, wow. So it's very much about this young woman, like, trying very hard to change into her in a, a different version of herself, go through this metamorphosis. But everything is, like, against her. And it starts to just really lose her grip on reality. And it has to deal a lot with sort of, like, this this male gaze of this young woman mm-hmm. who is trying to get control out of her life, but everyone's trying to take it from her. It's an excellent sort of addition into like this sort of canon of like women just trying to do their thing, but the world right. is like, nah, girl, have and you tried doing what we want you to do? Yeah, <laughs> and we're looked at as hysterical. We're looked at as making it up. It's like a lot of disbelief in women's trauma. Yeah, it's it's a, it's excellent. You guys would would absolutely get a oh, kick yeah, out of it. Watch it. That sounds so. Good. I mean, I mean, um, yeah, it might be a coincidence, but maybe that is why. Uh, horror is so female-led more than any other genre is that that the whole genre is based around nobody believes you you're in terrible danger yeah (laughs) well i mean it is it is gaslighting the genre like Mm. it all relies on on having someone who is so oh honey you're fragile oh honey you're so vulnerable like you don't know what you're talking about and that is just a very queer and marginalized female existence of like you're telling everyone i'm not okay and they're like but you are though oh you're oh you're very demure and your very self-assured confident best friend is trying to get you to like you know buck up a little bit we're gonna kill her we're gonna kill her. Oh yeah, you don't want to be the best friend in a horror film starring a woman you You do not self-assured friend who's like able to help out to help, you know, uplift this person. Like, be, use, be useless, because that way you will survive the longest. Don't try to lift up their self-esteem. Oh, Don't yeah. tell them that they're beautiful. Just let it go. <laughs> well, this is a good pivot point into um, uh, perhaps um, a very, very underappreciated final, uh, final woman, um, which is uh, The Shining from 1980. Uh, so we are talking about, and then this is Miss Shelley Duvall. Um, yes, I, yes, I am saying Shelley Duvall, not Jack Nicholson. I'm saying The Shining, starring Shelley Duvall, uh, because I really feel like Shelley Duvall is bringing some energy to this movie that you really don't ever like super see um, in a lot of horror things. Because like she really is, um, you know, she's she's married to this abusive man. And she's trying to protect her son, but she really spends almost over half the movie being extra accommodating to um, to him. Like she's um, there's you know everybody knows the Shining. I don't think we need to set up the Shining, but um, yeah, they're trapped in this hotel, and her husband is this writer who's uh, and she, I keep thinking of the scene where he's trying to write. And then she walks in after he's probably been in there for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, and it's just like, and it's just literally just boring. It's just like, hey, how's it going? Um, and he proceeds to um, give one of the more menacing moments. And this is before he's even like possessed by the hotel or whatever you think happens. Um, and he really just does the, uh, the old abusive partner thing. And it's just really that's really where these moments of terror live in The Shining for me, is that this um, this sort of, like, menacing father figure in the home. And so uh, that is why I picked this movie, is because um, I think when, I think if you're a young, sensitive queer person, um, the home can be 
it can it can feel a little dangerous. Mm-hmm. It it's feel... not as it's not a refuge for for everyone. It is not the refuge it is for a lot of people. Yeah. So this is something where this young boy, this young very very sensitive boy who senses danger around every corner, um, and his uh, and his very sensitive mom. It's it's really it's really a um, it's really a triumph of of the uh, of the of the mom case on dichotomy. Um, is is the shining this, a like a night. metaphor for gaydar? Oh man, it is. Yeah, it is. Like <laughs> it could be. I think I think that it's gaydar mixed with like um, gaydar mixed with like gay. Like, like just gain knowing what's up with the world. Like it's like a little like we kind of can see through um, all the falsities. Like we're like we're like who well, right. I got a feeling about this. Something's I think happening. we have to we have to develop like a heightened sense of empathy right. just to like read every room. It's it can be so exhausting, but it's like, yes. am I safe here? Who can I trust? And I think that that's something that you know necessarily like straight kids grow up. Unless they're in a, a you know, a, a dangerous situation. But, like, I think just, like, as a survival tactic, queer kids have to grow up like that. You have to size up a room right away. You're right. Mm-hmm. And also just dealing with the fact that what Because I, when I think about that gaslighting thing, I think about that era where we were telling people about the rising, not to get political, but, like, when we were telling people, like, we think that there are Nazis on the internet. We think that there are Nazis. And, and everyone's like, no! how could it be are Mm -hmm. they are they calling you slurs so it's fine it's that whole like we see something and we're like this isn't right this is a precursor to something Mm -hmm. bad happening to our community and everyone's like well i think your community takes things the wrong way Mm -hmm. and maybe you should try not being offended yes um yeah kind of yeah a little like um January 6th, um, that date, was an interesting moment for a lot of my relatives who were like, now, I don't want to speak for all the facts here, but it's starting to look like the police intentionally allowed them inside the building. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well, I was trying to tell all of you all this this, this entire summer. Yeah, right. it is. Yeah, it is definitely. Um, it is a... Uh, it's, it's rare to see your answer. own gaslighting, gaslighting be broadcast on every channel. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I mean, we're talking about, I mean, it's a big reason why I did select this was because I, um, it's on the news every day. Um, and it's even being like spoken about in so many words saying like, this has gone on so long. There is now a whole other section of society that completely lives within their own reality. Yeah. Um, and like, and news is like literally just like so. I we don't know how to reach that that kind of person, but like, um, this is completely real to them. You know, right. without naming without naming how, names, but it is. Can like, we talk? Is, like, can we talk about that? For a second, though, because I am struggling, you guys, so yes. hard to wrap my mind around, like, just the absolute, like, insanity of the some of this stuff. stuff. Yeah, is... it's, it's, it's so, as someone who, like, is really, really into true crime, there is no way to look at it and not think, like, this is a cult. It's a cult of people who have become so determined that certain things are going to happen, but make excuses when they don't happen, because so many things that they say is going to happen don't. And they're like, well, we don't really know the truth. I was listening to the Daily Podcast talking about it. And it's just like, I have two ways. I'm glad that we have all this information. And I, I'm glad that we know what they're thinking. But I mm-hmm. also am very bitter that we have spent this enti- the entire four years of the Trump presidency trying so hard to have empathy for people who have convinced themselves that they have empathy for other people. I feel like we are constantly being made to like give our emotional reservoirs mm-hmm. to understand these people, yeah. but it's like they're not doing that with us, and I and, I, and it makes me crazy. <laughs> well, it's it's one of those things where because we're facing a crossroads here. I mean, we've been at this crossroads for a very long time, but we're facing a crossroads here now that we know about certain members of Congress who are Q members who are supporting a lot of this ideology. And it's, and it's just a matter of like, well, this is just what that person believes. And so now it's like, okay, well, how do you, as a person who lives in reality, reality, um, how do you legislate next to someone who, who lives in this real, like, how do you do, like, that's, again, like, I feel like that's one of those things where I feel like 
we're we're so close to that moment where we're gonna be asked to like respect their reality as a reality. it's like a body snatchers thing doesn't it feel it, like that yes. it feels like yeah, you're walking yeah. around and suddenly Donald like Sutherland a again. chunk yeah. of our population yeah, donald sutherland is here yeah, exactly. a chunk of the population it's it almost feels like a horror movie sometimes i <laughs> it is because it's one of these things where it's like you can never because that's the other thing that's very much a horror movie about um right now is that it's never over like it's there's no like oh thank god it's like no michael myers mm-hmm. is getting back up again yeah, um, there's no closure. It's, I mean, it's one of these things where we had, like, um, we had maybe, like, a week or whatever, and it's, like, we realized we'd been through, you know, maybe, like, a week and a half, and then they were, like, okay, well, we need to, we need to do this, we need to impeach Trump, we need to get, we need to expel these, you know, three, four, five members, then we need to pass the, you know, the, the, the relief bill, and I was, like, I was, like, when is all of this gonna happen, and also have a conversation across the aisle with Q people about their space laser bullshit? The answer is never because <laughs> because yeah. they're never going to do it because like now there is this investment in catering to that base and it is terrifying because it's one of those things where like you're right it's like like early days of blanketology where it's like well it's a thing and people believe in it so we can't say it's bad and it's like right we, we need to be able to say things are bad when they're bad you need to just do that because here's the, like it is you can present them with any piece of evidence in the world there is always a follow-up explanation to protect that thought culture yeah um so engaging with it is just but like nobody can resist it it seems like that's my thing it's like i know how me adam sass can just go yeah i'm not even talking about that um, but like, I don't know how to make other people not engage with it. Right. And I guarantee you, we're going to see horror movies in the next couple of years really focus on occult-like atmospheres, uh, because horror film is always reflective of what our society is going through. Yeah. Well, Midsommar, um, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> oh, well, let me, sorry, just one thing. So I finally watched Rope. I bought, I bought, I bought oh, the- my God. I bought the giant uh, Hitchcock box set, sat Beautiful. down, watched Rope. And then I see Jimmy Stewart talking about his future society. I'm like, oh, my God, he wrote the Purge movies. Like, his entire thing is like, there should be a day where we just go around and just kill everyone that's not as important as us. And I'm like, it's the Purge. Like, literally, someone <laughs> watched Rope and was like, actually, it's this guy has Jimmy, points. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart in that movie is Trump being like, what do you mean you took my entire, like, very clearly pointed speech to its logical extreme? Right? He's I'm so, so like, horrified I, by what you just did. Yeah. He's, like, <laughs> I, he's like, I meant the poor. I meant the, the, the others, not my actual student. <laughs> <laughs> my God. Yeah, he literally, that is that's such an unsettling thing about, because he does do this fucking proto-white supremacist, like, document. Um, in the thing where he's where he is talking about just like yeah, there's there's a race of of supermen. Anyway, like, he just, like <laughs> he's like, don't mind me. Um, yeah. Okay, let's. I tell you, white gays, you can't turn your back on them. <laughs> Not even once. But <laughs> we can get right. back to this, which I am enjoying so thoroughly. Nightmares. We, um, no, we cannot talk about nightmares and mine fuckery without oh. talking about David Lynch. The master. Uh, this is Lynch, my favorite filmmaker of all times. These are amongst my favorite films of all time. And you can't really classify his works as horror, but they contain the Lynch series of films like contain some of these flat out scariest moments in, in in movies for me i mean i watch halloween but i'm not scared by halloween um but uh you talk about movies like fire walk with me Mulholland drive and lost highway and those all contain some of the worst i've seen them a million times i get scared every time um and specifically i mean we're going to be talking about the queerest one here, which is Mulholland Drive. Oh, yeah. Which oh, is, yeah. I feel like this is, I feel like Mulholland Drive is where queer, queer uh, people of, of, of all kinds can, can meet on common ground to be like, yes, this, this movie. Um, 
this is something where Mulholland Drive is, you know, I'm not going to, this is just, I'm, I can't, I can't spoil too much because again, yeah, it's, it's hard to talk about movie. without spoiling it. It's yeah. an unspoilable movie because it's one of these things where like, so, okay, so there is a, there is a, 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 a lesbian romance at the heart of this movie, but really it's, 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 um, this sort of Hollywood dream machine nightmare where you have Naomi Watts and you see her at the beginning of the movie and she's come to Hollywood and it's, everything's very, I mean, if you've been seeing WandaVision, you kind of know what we're talking about. And a lot of people I've been seeing, uh, I, I saw somebody talk about WandaVision as, um, baby's first lynch. Yes, I saw it, that it's too. A little bit, yeah. Yes, it, it's exactly that. So if you're loving WandaVision and you haven't checked out a lynch yet or Mulholland Drive, watch Mulholland Drive because you're going to love it because it is like Naomi Watts is doing, I mean, I would, Elizabeth Olsen took some notes from Naomi Watts today. <laughs> As one it, should. Yes. Because there is, so she's there and she's got this sort of, she's channeling this old school Hollywood, I'm here to be a movie star, like kind of vibe. And it's not parody and it's not um, reality. It's somewhere just very deliciously unsettlingly in the middle. Where she's like, I really do believe it. I'm here. I'm here. I'm, you know, I hear it. Here I am, world. And, uh, and then she runs into... This beautiful woman who has had amnesia because we saw her at the beginning of the movie in this terrible car accident. Someone was going to kill her in the backseat of her limo. Like she was going to be assassinated. And then uh, they were on Mulholland Drive and then the car rams into these uh, drag racing kids. And so everybody dies in this horrific car wreck except this young this young woman uh, who calls herself Rita. But she does that because she looks at a Rita Hayworth poster um, because she doesn't know who she is. She loses her memory after the car wreck and she stumbles out of the wreck into downtown Hollywood and uh, comes into Naomi Watts' apartment because um, it was unlocked. And so really it turns into this sort of bright-eyed starlet being like, I'm going to become a star and help you solve what happened to you. And, um... It's very, she's very, channels Doris Day. It is. In the the, uh, beginning part of this movie. Yeah, so I mean, well, we could kind of leave it at that. But what what unfolds is fully a nightmare um, in both content and form is because it, it is it is constructed in the way nightmares are, which is there are seemingly irrelevant storylines that kind of come in and out. There are characters who are who who play other versions of themselves. Um, there is a non-reality to it. Um, and by the end of the movie you do kind of you know you know here we are. Um, Naomi Watts and uh, Lauren Lena Herring, uh, who plays Rita, they do have a romance about like two thirds of the way through, and pretty much after they have this this very very beautiful um, with the mu the music in this movie is so beautiful and tragic is some of the best score work I've, I've ever seen. But it is one of those things where um, the nightmare starts to become known. Uh, after that moment. And a lot of this is, um, I've said before that Mulholland Drive is, to me, uh, you can view it a million different ways. I choose to believe it as a metaphor for the closet. Um, because when I was closeted, I had, um, like, I, 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 there, there was an awareness of who I really was that I did not have up until I was maybe 18. Like, I, looking back, I can now retroactively go, oh, yeah, I was into this guy, this guy, this guy. But um, growing up, I did not have a conscious, like, I am attracted to to this, you know, I'm, I'm attracted to this gender. Like, I didn't have an awareness of that. There, I, It feels like there was something so, um, like, I couldn't accept it. So my mind just chose not to see that part. Like, there really was kind of a reckoning in it when I, when I was... Um, uh, a freshman in college, which is when I saw Mulholland Drive in theaters for the first time. Um, so I saw this movie around the era when I was coming out. So this really, really is a personal movie for me. And this is probably, I'm going to say this is my favorite film of all time, horror or otherwise. Um, and it's really, really beautiful. And a lot of it is um, about you think you're this one thing. And then through sort of this grim understanding um, you realize you're you're kind of someone else. Well, you know, the tagline of the film is a love story in the city of dreams. And mm. I appreciate 
so much that the the actual love story is given a gravitas in this film um i personally think that the love scene has a little is a little male gazy but it it also doesn't dismiss what's really happening between these two people you can tell i mean there yeah there is a male gaze too especially in these there's a second love scene that's a little like whoa okay um uh male gazy but you can definitely tell that lynch underneath this really really has enormous affection for these two as as a relationship and is not seeing it as a tawdry thing mm-hmm. but um yeah but it but it, we were talking about it what we're just describing now doesn't seem too scary there are scares in this movie because there is this underlying dread throughout there is this angela badalamenti score that has this sort of long underscore of of something terrible is happening there's something there's some underlying secret here that we don't know that we're not aware of. Um, and then there's also the famous scene of the of the man hiding behind the Winkies donut shop, which is probably, if you've seen the movie, one of the worst scares of all time. Like it's um it's sort of a non sequitur. There's these two characters talking in a diner, and it's early on in the movie, and this one man is describing to his friend or coworker. Um, that he keeps having this dream about this diner and he wanted to take his friend here to show him the diner and be like, there's a man hiding in the back. Um, and I just needed to like, I had this awful feeling and I just need, I needed to come to this diner with you because you're in the dream and the man's behind there and I need to like basically make sure that this guy is not out there. And then halfway through this conversation, he realizes that yes, he is in that dream again. Um, and that it's unfolding this way. And so they, they go back behind the Winkies and the man pops out from behind um, basically this garbage unit. And it is, like, it is, I don't know if, have you all seen this? Like, this is one of the most terrifying moments in, in, in film for me. I've seen this movie a million times that I'm, I, I can't put it together in my head at the moment. Like, I'm, I remember, like, there, I remember this moment, but, like, I, it's not as vivid to me as it is to you. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it's what, it's, a, it's, you can even, like, if you don't even want to sit through the whole movie, like, you could just, you could just Google Mulholland Drive, like, um, it, it's like a homeless man or something like that, but like, a Mulholland Drive, like, man, Winky's man. Uh, and it's just something about it, it's like, super scary, but, um. I haven't we, seen it, um, because I am a terrible David Lynch fan, but I've seen the Twin Peaks one and I, I adore it because I actually watched it before I watched Twin Peaks and I'm like, I don't know if this is correct, but I'm doing it. Well, okay, um, let's talk, talk about Firewalk With Me then because it's, it's a prequel to Twin Peaks. Yes. Yeah, it's like, I got into Twin Peaks because Sex in the City, I was like, oh, Trey, he's in this. And Oh my God. <laughs> Um, but they send, basically, if I remember this correctly, the FBI sends someone to investigate the death of Teresa Banks, who is, like, a teenage drifter, a sex worker, and, you know, um, then all of a sudden we get to meet Laura Palmer and her best friend, like, Laura's doing cocaine and cheating on her boyfriend, (laughs) um, and... There are pages of her secret diary that are missing. Um, and then she gives it away to her friend. And it's just like this very traumatic film. Like, you know, the murder keeps happening and someone tries to assault. It's just like, it's... Laura Palmer's life was agonizing. Yeah. Like, that's what yeah. I remember thinking is like, I feel so bad for this person. And so when I watched the series, I was like, Wow, no one really knew her. Because I haven't, yeah. uh, spoiler alert, I, mm-hmm. I haven't finished Twin Peaks because I, I keep getting distracted. But um, I just remember thinking in those first couple of episodes, like, no one really knew Laura. And, like, that's kind of the tragedy of, like, her life is that she was just a person who, like, was so many things but couldn't be any of them. Right. And I don't know yeah. about you, but when I was a teenager, all I wanted to do was be known and be understood. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I, I know that, um, Adam, you're a big fan of this movie. I do not like Firewalk With Me. Uh, I love the series, um, but I do not like this movie. It's hard to find fans of both. I would that say. makes sense. That yeah, makes sense. It, it does there are people feel who like stand the, the movie, and then yeah, because it's one of these things where Cheryl Lee, the, the actor who plays um, 
uh, Laura Palmer, um, are, are very embattled uh, main character. Um, she's um, she gives I think just like please give her some sort of retroactive Oscar for this movie. Like it is just like she's doing so many different levels of things. And this really, I mean, again, a lot of people don't like this movie. A lot of people don't. Um, it was booed at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, Quentin Tarantino, like... I also was thing. booed at the Cannes Film Festival. You were, but listen, yeah. boo it. Just boo. <laughs> Oh, well, my goodness. Listen, um, all right. <laughs> just kidding. No one... I'm I've never been to Cannes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's... So, we're, we're, so the thing we're talking about with Firewalk With Me is, you know, spoiler alert, you know, don't listen to the rest of this if you haven't seen From Vixen Plan 2. Um, uh, the killer is Laura's father, um, who is... Uh, who has been uh, basically uh, sexually attacking her um, and basically menacing her like her entire life. And it's one of those things where, yeah, no one really knew because you had this entire town who knows the Palmer. So while you see this character who is like a pillar of the community, it's a classic kind of like, Oh, he's him to evil. There was this, he's the stand-up guy. Um, and you see how badly all of the townspeople, all of her friends were just, deluded to what was going on. I mean, like, because the movie is, she is in obvious pain in every scene. And it retroactively makes the show seem, um, like, it makes the characters seem, like, completely shallow because the the characters are gooped that she was in any pain at all. Um, a lot of them. Some of them knew, like, oh, she was troubled maybe a little bit. But you have, and you watch the movie and you see, like, when it's from Laura's point of view, the pain is literally screaming on the soundtrack. Mm. Um, it is a, it is a painful movie to watch. It is not an enjoyable movie um, by any means. And then you watch the show. The show is very like got fun levels and cherry pie and coffee and twists and turns. And there is some there's a lot of dark moments, but um, it's got a lot more zip. And I think that's where you lose a lot of folks to the movie because the movie is like okay, here's the pain. Here's, like, undiluted all the pain that was lying underneath this movie, the whole uh, underneath the show the whole time. Um, and here's what she was going through. And kind of similar to The Shining, it's a, um, her home is not the safe place to go. So that's why throughout the show, people really are, like, trying to struggle to, like, why did, why, she was, like, doing a lot. Like, why was she, she was doing so many drugs, and she was doing Meals on Wheels, and she was going out here, and she was dating two different guys, and she was seeing her friend, and then she was working at this, um, One-Eyed Jack's brothel, basically, and going to school and doing all this other stuff, and a lot of it was like, wow, she really, really, really was doing everything possible not to be in her home. And, um, and it's just a very, it's a very, very intense uh, movie for that, but, um, it has its fans, and a lot of a lot of what Cheryl Lee kind of talks about about the movie as time goes on is um, um, a lot of uh, incest survivors have approached her as being like, "This movie is probably the closest to, or one of the only movies that really kind of gets the experience mm-hmm. uh, for for them." So, for a lot of people, I think this does speak to them, but um, it's a very intentionally hard to love movie yeah you know uh, twin peaks came out at a very pivotal time in my development (laughs) and um i connect i connected a lot with the young women characters in in twin peaks especially um donna and audrey and i I can't help but think of the moment when donna finds out that laura is dead do you remember in the in the Mm -hmm. in twin peaks itself yeah. And just like the guttural like scream that she makes in in class. Yeah. Um and then like for like as a person like not sure of their sexuality laying eyes on Audrey and just like the mystery and the confidence and like this like to me she reads as as queer. Um, in so many yeah. ways, and that was such a, like a pivotal part for me. And and Audrey, there is no Sherilyn Fenn in uh, Fire Walk with me. No, it's it's definitely missing. Her. And there's no Laura Flynn Boyle. We uh, Moira Kelly <sighs> uh, played that role. Yeah, they they recasted the best friend Donna character, who's um, 
I would be interested to see Lara Flynn Boyle have played this because Lara Flynn Boyle really got a lot of the different levels of Donna, which yes. is she's a lot turned down from Laura, but she has a similar type of um she's very, very I mean, again, this is very much like the um like as we said in the in the in the werewolf episode, there is a you know, the the, the queer character is I am this soft, um, you know, outwardly, you know, sweetheart person, but underneath there's probably a little bit more going on. Um, and so, and Donna does have sort of scarier, um, I would say not scarier, but I would say more, um, sort of like self-assured, you know, interested in, in kind of the darkness that's going on in Laura's life. But then Moira Kelly really, really, I mean, is just the way she plays. I do like this interpretation of Donna, but I, I would just be interested in seeing Laura from Boy because Maura Kelly is way more like fully 1000% sweetheart, does not understand what's going on to her best friend. Mm-hmm. Well, we've walked through some serious nightmares in this episode, yes. but I know you have, you have a, a question for us to ponder, Adam. Oh my gosh. Yes. So um, yeah, if, if we were in Nightmare on Elm Street um, and Freddie was after you, What's your what's your nightmare scenario, uh, Dana? What's your nightmare scenario? Oh God! So I... Freddy's after you. He's gonna make some puns. This is like funny. Oh Freddy. yeah, he's gonna this he's gonna make Freddy, a pun yeah. and he's gonna he's gonna slaughter you. Um, right. Oh gosh. Um, mine would probably at this moment in time would probably like involve baking, and I would like end up in like an oven or something um with alongside my chocolate chip cookies uh oh thanks to freddy and he'd be like uh uh yeah just a chip off the old block or some <laughs> shit like that you know Damn it, oh yeah. my gosh you're too good at these <laughs> I, the puns i can't i'm gonna flop at this i think uh if freddy were after me it would definitely be something that involved like flying in a crowded plane like stealing oh, coronavirus, shit. so like you know, in that middle seat, oh have to wear a mask, and then, like he's like, "This is your Freddie." Would be like, "This is your captain speaking. Oh, I hope you're God. ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you have your seat, please." And you know, something with the seat belt, and then just all of a sudden, just like chaos on the plane, and oh, just and like, the and the and the and the hands come through the the yeah. sides of the oh god yeah and then like the thing comes like he'll be like remember to take care of yourself first and then his face like he like his hand comes out and like just like rips my face off through oh the, my god the oxygen mask god oh my gosh yeah i i thought a lot about this and i think it's gonna be mine's gonna be a lot more mundane but it's gonna be uh definitely is i'm on uh i'm on a deadline and there and i i have like i haven't done any of it i haven't written one single word uh and then freddie keeps ringing the doorbell to be like hey we had an appointment <laughs> you have to stop what you're doing we have to we have to <laughs> freddie's your editor wondering where your second draft he, is he, right he's, he's like ed- you he's have the, a deadline oh, this is where- Oh yeah, Freddie is everybody. So he's the editor who keeps popping in, being like, mm, mm, "It's three days late. Just hand in whatever you got." And I've got nothing. And he's like, and "Sorry, then... I had to cut that scene." <laughs> oh my God. It's like, and then he's also don't the forget idiot. To then kill he's your also darling. like, yeah. <laughs> then he's also a family member who keeps coming by and ringing the doorbell, and and is like, "All right, well, if you're too busy, guess I'll just, I'll just, I'll just go, go die." <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're busy. Oh my god, mom, stop. (laughs) This is literally a conversation I had with mine. Um, You guys, I've missed doing this so much with you, and we've missed being here and talking about queer horror with all of you listening. Uh, We have two more episodes, so stay tuned um, for our modern horror and space horror. Uh, But in the meantime, Princess, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at Weeks Princess, W-E-E-K-E-S. They can find me on Instagram at Princess underscore Weeks. And on my YouTube channel, Melina Pendulum, where I am talking about all different kind of things. Bridgerton, Lovecraft Country. We're doing a big one about something very bisexual soon. That's a surprise, but... It'll be a lot of fun. Very queer. Love surprise by. Mm, I love bisexual surprises. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Adam, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Sass on Instagram. It's Adam Sass. You can also uh, check out my latest and uh, newest book, Surrender Your Sons, uh, which is queer YA horror. 
Uh, and you can go to adamsassbooks.com for details on that. Yes, definitely check that out. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dana Pickley. That's two C's, one L. Uh, you can also find me at Queer Media Matters, where I am bringing you all sorts of fun queer stuff. And I forgot to tell you guys, I'm in a lesbian musical podcast. <gasps> Amazing. Yes, yeah, so I could talk about it now. It's called The Flame. And I am a guest bean. Um, I sing back up on a couple parts. I have a couple little solo uh, parts, but it's it's chock full of like Broadway actors. And it's about a lesbian bar called The Flame. And it's uh, it'll be coming out here in the summer. So you'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, so fun with that. But anyway. That's wonderful. Thank you. So until next time, friends and fiends, uh, stay queer and stay Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad.